Hello and welcome to Incast, Incast's new podcast that delves into the trending issues shaping the world of public relations. Hello and welcome back to the next episode of Incast. I'm your host Samantha McGarry, and today we're talking all about Silicon Valley. And I'm joined by Jason Morris. Hi, Jason. Hello, Sam. Jason is uh, EVP and general manager of Inkhouse West. And if anybody knows Silicon Valley, it's Jason. He's in the heart of it every single day. So, Jason, the past few years have seen lots of startup and innovation and investments uh, in Silicon Valley. And I think everybody would agree that in you know the past eight months of this year silicon valley and sort of the tech giants have really been at the forefront of the news not just for innovation but also for involvement in politics policy and even sort of culture issues so why don't you give us your take on where you think silicon valley is at and and kind of what that means for us from a communications point of view yeah sure so um i think that you know whereas we should be talking about all the successful companies who have been venture-backed and going public this year, along with a lot of the innovation that's coming out of Silicon Valley around Internet of Things, autonomous driving, things like that. You know, unfortunately, there's some serious challenges facing Silicon Valley in the tech industry uh, from a from a public per- perception standpoint, as well as other areas. So, you know, since I'm a PR person and I love to put things in, in lists and, and things like that, I kind of consider it the three Ps of the problems that Silicon Valley is facing right now. Mm -hmm. And it really comes down to uh, platform perception and politics. And, you know, we can chat about each one of those. I think the political side of things is really top of mind this week. But, you know, each one of those things, I think, um, definitely plays into some of the challenges that tech companies and and communications programs are going to face the rest of this year in 2018. So let's uh, let's delve into platforms then. Let's leave the saucy uh, political stuff (laughs) further on. Yeah, sounds good. So um, it's interesting because one of the things I try to do out in Silicon Valley is just kind of Keep, keep tabs on the pulse of what uh, the venture capital community is thinking about mm-hmm. because um, Inkhouse does work with so many emerging growth companies. Our portfolio tends to um, mimic that of where VCs are investing. So I've had the opportunity to talk to a couple of mar- marketing partners at some of the top tier VC firms. Mm-hmm. And um, what they say is that, you know, there is a little bit of a question around what the next big platform is. You know, a lot of the investment um, and uh, returns have, have happened in mobile and cloud. Right. And um, so they're wondering, you know, what's going to be the next big platform that drives the next wave of innovation and, and frankly, the next wave of Series A and B investments, which mm-hmm. have, have really slowed down. So, you know, they talk a little bit about autonomous driving connected cars and whether that could be the platform. They talk about, um, you know, AR and, and augmented reality and virtual reality and, and where that could go um, or the connected home. Um, artificial intelligence is right. another one. So the debate is really just, you know, which... Which of these things is is ultimately going to be thing, the thing that drives the next wave of innovation and investment? Um, and even some of the big players can't uh, can't agree. So um, you know there was a story in in I think ZDNet about uh, how Facebook is really making a huge bet on virtual reality. And Mark Zuckerberg wants family members to be able to see a, a VR clip of his kid taking mm-hmm. uh, taking uh, its first steps. Um, you know Google's obviously making a huge um, bet on on AI and machine learning right. and and autonomous driving. So, um, you know, there's a lot that needs to play out. And in the meantime, I think there's, um, you know, a, a, a spattering of bets being made. But I, I think it remains to be seen which platform is, is really going to be the one that takes off. That's, you know, what you said about splattering of bets was definitely kind of how I was thinking about it. It's like there's so many different 
powerful technologies and some of them overlap and they all kind of work together and is you know where does an investor place their money or are they placing their money on lots of different horses because the future isn't clear it's not obvious and it's not obvious whether it's going to be one of the big guys who kind of dominates or whether there's going to be somebody new yeah yeah and i think um i think the way that companies can think about this from a pr uh standpoint is if you are a company that's bringing together um, or bring to market applications that really leverage AI and machine learning or blockchain, mm-hmm. um, or if you're making some sort of uh, system or algorithm that goes into autonomous driving, you know, whatever it may be, uh, you're just going to face, you know, those typical hype cycle back blows that happen when, right. when, a, when a technology is overhyped and it's not really delivering the value today that, that kind of matches that hype. And so, right. you know, you go to the to the peak of inflated expectations to the trough of disillusionment before you get to the point where things really start to produce. So, um, you know, I think as a PR person, I've always looked at the Gartner hype cycle as something that definitely um, is is kind of telling in the way that companies can kind of look at where they fall from a public perception standpoint about their technology and what that means from a, a PR practitioner standpoint in terms right. of having to overvalidate the fact that this is an impactful technology. And when you do get that rare use case, of somebody using something really innovative and new, you've just got to hammer it home through the PR program right. and, and be seen as an early leader in it. But at the same time, um, I would I would imagine you face a certain degree of cynicism and sort of, you know, prove it. The vaporware that, you know, came out in the early days of the sort of 2000 that uh, that was all built on, the, the original dot-com bubble was built on. Um, I think the, the media and especially the Silicon Valley media are way more skeptical. And so the prove it element has to be much more stronger. No, it's totally true. I mean, um, one of the things that I, re- I remember talking about a little bit last year um, on the Inc. House blog is, uh, you know, the fact that all of a sudden having a big valuation became a negative thing right. from, from like a PR, uh, from a perception standpoint. And so, you know, if you were a unicorn wasn't such a cool thing. <laughs> no. Yeah. You've built an incredibly successful company that has a huge valuation and is attracting right. great investment. And somehow that was a negative. So, um, you know, uh, Positivity and negativity and, and cynicism and optimism is, is definitely in the eye of the beholder. And I think from a platform perspective right now, um, there's probably going to be a lot of misfires because it's not as certain as uh, mobile and cloud uh, right. has been the last eight years. Right. Eight years. Wow, I'm old. Okay. <laughs> so let's move on to perception. And, and kind of I wanted to get your read on sort of this these state of the media landscape in Silicon Valley right now, kind of where the power is. Uh, in terms of the different publishing houses or sort of, you know, the key players in the industry from a you know, reporting point of view? Yeah. Um, so I think that, especially as it relates to perception, and, and I, I alluded to this earlier, like rather than talking about the fact that Uber's in the class of Cisco, Apple, Facebook, and Google in terms of being um, one of the most successful technology ventures of all time, um, you know, des- definitely taking advantage of that cloud and mobile uh, platform shift. Instead, we're talking about sexual harassment, and mm-hmm. we're talking about um, all the things that uh, the management team has done to misstep there and having to replace the, um, the CEO. And I think that as that, those stories have been bought, brought to light, um, it's really encouraged this new era of Silicon Valley investigative journalism mm-hmm. as it relates to the tech community. And so, um, you know, I see reporters like Mike Isaac and others from the New York Times and other outlets sharing stories from BuzzFeed and, and Bloomberg who are doing a really good job in terms mm-hmm. of investigative journalism around sexual harassment, discrimination, the lack of diversity in Silicon Valley. Um, 
And so, you know, there's a huge perception problem right now. I, I mean, we saw it heading into the last presidential election with the pitting of middle America against coastal elites. Mm. And, and now, you know, what we're talking about as it relates to Silicon Valley are, are things like be- investing venture partners, sexually harassing uh, female co-founders and, um, you know, the lack of diversity in tech as it re- relates to both gender as well as racial diversity. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, that's a huge challenge in terms of the technology industry and its overall brand now being a target as um, in terms of like dissatisfaction with the way companies are being managed, with the way people are being treated. And, and that impact not only has a um, not only hits locally, but it definitely travels all the way to places like Washington when regulators take a look at the tech industry mm-hmm. and what needs to be done. But what's interesting then is those kind of uh, stories in investigative gen- journalism are, are dominating uh, the volume of coverage uh, in the publications that, that you know, cover Silicon Valley and the tech industry, which makes it even harder for um, you know, everyone who's pl- maybe playing by the rules or innovating or one somebody, somebody who's kind of small. How do you break through all of that? How do you, how do you even you know, stand a chance to, to get your fair share of media coverage when that's all they're covering? Yeah, no, and it's really tough. Um, you know, there's always going to be this subset of media opportunities or media outlets that kind of stay true to what they have always traditionally covered. And, and you know, those are the trades and the verticals, mm-hmm. and, and that becomes obviously a core part of the program. But when you talk about um, things that are more business and tech and, and policy-focused, you've just really got to be willing uh, to engage in, in conversations about things that are being written about today. And, you know, some companies aren't going to be comfortable doing that and, and they might have good business reasons why not to do that. But, um, you know, one of the things that we try to do obviously at Inkhouse is, is develop narratives, um, and get clients to a, a revelation of a story they want to tell yeah. that does inject their point of view into things that are being written about every day, uh, to help drive brand awareness and make them, um, stand out as a leader in their respective segment. You know, a lot of, th- Another thing that I think has changed a lot over the last few years is that a lot of this isn't necessarily just a a corporate communications decision made by the company. Mm -hmm. It's also a personal decision made by its its executives. So, um, you know, we do the the corporate social responsibility um, PR for Salesforce. Mm -hmm. And while I would love to say that, you know, we're developing really um, compelling content for Mark Benioff to tweet out and things like that. Those are things that Mark is doing on his own. Right. And, and his, his decision to engage in things like, uh, immigration, immigration, (laughs) gender equality, um, and other social justice issues is purely a personal decision. Mm -hmm. And his platform is obviously that much bigger because he's created the the world's first $10 billion a year, um, cloud company. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, that's changed a little bit. I think in terms of how we engage with clients too, is that, you know, when you start to talk about these social issues and whether or not a, a brand wants to get engaged, ultimately what you're talking about is an, is, is an executive and often the highest level executive really right. um, getting involved in the discussion. Fascinating. Um, so let's talk about politics. Sure. <laughs> talking about executives getting involved in the discussion. I don't think there's been a big issue this uh, year that somehow you know the tech leaders have not gotten embroiled in in some shape or form taking a stance and uh just this week there's been you know some stories about there's blood in the water at silicon valley that can you talk about kind of is tech the hero or the villain of the situation yeah absolutely so i think um you know right now and this kind of dovetails into the perception problem too 
tech is, is taking a beating. And, and I think what we haven't seen in the past is that it's, it's taking a beating from both sides of the aisle now. Mm. Um, you know, tech over the past 20 years or 30 years um, has been seen as this big driver of job growth, of bringing the best and brightest from around the world to the U.S., um, through, uh, you know, H-1B visas right. and, and uh, founders immigrating to the U.S. Um, also as a potential way to create jobs in other markets. I, I can't think of a state that wouldn't want a, a big tech company to come to their state um, to help drive job growth. Right. Um, and now what, you've, what we found is, um, and there were great stories, like you said, in, in uh, BuzzFeed and Politico this week, and I'm sure there's many others, talking about how, you know, you have uh, President Trump um, coming down on Amazon for avoiding paying taxes and also the GOP in general getting really upset at the idea of social media platforms um, censoring mm-hmm. um, uh, ad buys and, and really getting into the, the whole fake news debate. And then you've got, um, you know, on the on the Democratic side of the aisle, just the fact that those platforms have become a, a way to proliferate uh, fake news and maybe influence the election. So... And then the immigration debate as well, you know. So there's just so many different ways um, from which politicians now can can take target Silicon Valley and 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 tech companies and say, hey, you're no longer kind of the shiny new toy that's driving growth and innovation in America. Instead, you're you're a huge problem that we need to regulate. And so what's going to be interesting is if um, we do start seeing a bigger target on tech companies from a regulatory standpoint, and if Um, you know, somehow Silicon Valley is going to have to react to that. So what does that all mean for PR and communications ultimately? Because when it bubbles down to us. Yeah. So I I think we've we've gone through a golden era of relatively uninhibited communications in the tech industry. Um, You know, I've I've worked with clients whose motto was announced early and often, Uh, (laughs) maybe even when uh, a product wasn't ready and things Mm -hmm. like that you may start to see a little bit more regulation. I mean, maybe it starts to look a little bit more like financial services or healthcare or biotech where um, there's going to be a much more um, closely regu- regulated landscape where, uh, you know, legal and, and um, corporate communication departments are going to have to work a little bit more closely and have to worry a little more about the ramifications of what they say and do. Fascinating. All right. Well, we'll be watching. Thanks so much, Jason. Yeah, I, could, no. I, could, I could talk on for hours, but we have to wrap this up. <laughs> no, absolutely. Thank you. Thanks. And that was Incast with Samantha McGarry. Thanks for listening.